pay you. Yes, I mean you, dear listener. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Waru Desho podcast. We're so happy to have the pleasure of your company today. If you've listened to us before and like our show, you might be wondering how you can support us, since we won't take your money. This podcast will continue to be free, but if you'd like to show your appreciation, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes, as those help our discoverability. If you don't use iTunes, that's fine too. You can follow us and like and share our content on SoundCloud and Twitter. Additionally, we love getting your feedback, positive or negative. Tweet us at Show or email us at waterwaydeshow at gmail.com. Whether or not it gets read on the show, I can assure you, we all read every tweet and email you send us. And once again, dear listener, we thank you so much. Now please, enjoy the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Stream of Thought here on Wari Desho. We've now left <coughs> behind uh, and I made that sound like a lyric from a Lamb of God song, so at least I know I have a career later, you know, in heavy metal if this falls apart. Uh, but anyway, uh, we have left through Demare behind and we're now onto Pastures New. But before we get to that, um, I'd like to introduce myself. I am the big mouth of the podcast, that is, I'm Shaden. And with me here today in the digital studio is one of the best guys I know. Give it up for the Soul Doctor. Welcome to the French Toast Hour. <laughs> You're making me hungry now. I do actually want some French toast, come to think of it. Although, I am making burritos later, so that's something. But anyway, so, um, we, of course, did our previous stream of thought on uh, Recovery of MMO Junkie, which went over pretty well, and I quite enjoyed that show for in of itself, of course, so certainly a worthwhile enterprise. And we figured, you know, why not? Let's have a second housing. So, we are going to be covering a little series called Darling in the Franks. Uh, Franks spelt F-R-A-N-X-X. Uh, I would presume that there would be an uncut version where that is a triple X instead, but that might not be out until <laughs> later on Blu-ray. So, this hey, there we why, go. This is why I make the French toast joke, because I think that it's supposed to be French kiss. That would actually make sense given the events of the episode, certainly. I don't know. I'm sure that we'll find yes. out in due course. I mean, there are probably many questions, but like, you know, if nothing else, you'd get a good score putting that word down in Scrabble as long as you put it on the triple word. <laughs> So that's, I mean, the two X's are, two X's are beastly. Yeah, that's a winner, man. I mean, like, if you play Xerox in a Scrabble game, then that's it, you've won already. So, you know. Um, and then, of course, I'm expecting the Scrabble pedants to come in here now and say, well, that's a noun or a company name, you can't use that. Anyway, it doesn't matter, moving on. So, um, Darling in the Franks. Uh, Doc, would you care to enlighten us about this uh, show that's come out uh, recently? Sure, sure. So, um, this is, of course, airing right now. It is the new mecha show from uh, Studio Trigger, which we all know and love here on mm-hmm. Water Desho. And uh, A1 Productions, it's a, a co-production of sorts. And that is reflective in the talent that is working on it. This is the director's first... It's not his first ever project to direct, and I, I apologize, I don't have 
names down in front of me, but I did I did the connecting of the dots in terms of the shows that the creators previously worked on. So perhaps in other episodes when I'm more able and have, have more tools in front of me. By the way, quick note, I don't sound the same as I normally do because I'm in an undisclosed bunker under a pile of snow. Mm-hmm. And so... <laughs> so I don't have the same tools at my disposal. Yes, it turns out that Doc has been buried under about 10 tons of snow, unfortunately, because I think God himself is actually out actively to disrupt our podcasting schedule, as opposed to me, because that's usually my job. Uh, but I don't get paid for it anymore, I'm afraid. So, um, <laughs> yeah, there will be some slight technical diff- differences this time around. We'll come we'll come clean and just say that, for a start, we're recording this all as a single track over Discord, so we do apologise for any audio glitches you might hear. But such is life. Beats, you know, not doing just- it at all. Yeah, we just are so committed. We want to get it out to you, regardless the perf- the the perfection. We want to get it out a day earlier. And yes, I'm happy to again sit in this bunker, fiddle with my transistor radio under light of flash, and <laughs> and podcast. It's- well, to be fair, Doc, if your internet had actually gone down, then I would have just simply, you know, been here with my little subtle Doctor hand puppet, and I've just been going, <laughs> "Why, yes, Shaden, that's a great idea. Thanks, Doc." <laughs> Oh god, um, you'd be making all kinds of creative changes to to everything. The, the yes man puppet. <laughs> um, okay, so um, the fellow that is directing this has done. Uh, he's made his bones animating like things for, of course, Gynax, but a lot of different things over the years. Um, has done key animation for notable titles, and has actually directed an Idol Master movie before now. But other than that, um, I believe this is this person's first TV series hmm. to direct. So, which this is this will be interesting, right? To see to see this new person kind of take the helm and and see how this goes. You may recognize or or find familiar the robots because the mechanical designer worked on this podcast's favorite robot show, Die Buster. Uh, that does not surprise me in the <laughs> slightest. Like, the moment I saw the robots, particularly at the end of the episode when one of them comes fully formed, I was like, yep, yep. I- I'll say this ahead of time, even though this is jumping ahead a little bit. Like, if there's one thing I liked about Die Buster and Gun Buster, for that matter, it was the mechanical design. I thought the mechanical design was all around excellent. So if it is indeed the same gentleman, you know, back in the saddle, so to speak, then I'm all on board for it. I mean, I like what I saw in this one, certainly. Yeah, they're also known for Star Driver, which I believe... I feel so sad that I don't remember exactly. I believe that's a Bones show. But yes, that is another well-regarded mecha show. Uh, The people that uh, worked on Revolutionary Girl Utena were responsible for Star Driver. But the same person who did the mecha design for that and Dive Buster is doing the robots here. And... uh, the uh, Klaxosaur machine beast thing looks really cool, and the Franks that we get to see uh, looks amazing. I uh, really, really like that. And you can really see the Star Driver influence when it kind of transforms into its, uh, I don't want to say ultimate form, because I'm sure further transformations will occur, but when it transforms into its more like bipedal humanoid form, mm-hmm. you, can, you can be like, okay, this is very Star Driver. Um, and to finish up quickly... The character designer, I think, is from more the A1 side of things. Uh, the notable designs that they've done include uh, Anohana and Toradora. Uh, and, and the Toradora influence is real. Like, 
I've, once I read that, I was like, okay, yes, absolutely. This totally reminds me of Toradora in a lot of ways. Um, and that person is also this show's animation director. So they're handling character designs and directing the animation. Um, and the head writer, the person responsible for the screenplay on this one, uh, has worked on uh, basically all the anime adaptations of the visual novels that have the semicolon in the title. <laughs> Steins Gate, Robotics Notes, Chaos Child, like all this. There's a name for those. It's like the scientific adventures of something they're, they're like a loosely connected series of things but you know the person that has you know been responsible for the writing on those adaptations is doing the writing here i see interesting think that'll become important later on though because one thing to note then from what you said there is that he or she i'm not sure they did adaptations and this is an original work to my knowledge correct so hmm because the problem, of course, with doing adaptations is you've already got existing set material there. And for me, like, adaptation has always been an art form in of itself because you have to know what to keep, what to cut, what to trim, what to fatten, and indeed what to outright replace. But when you're literally starting out with a blank canvas... Hmm. So we have a gentleman who is doing his first big anime de- debut as a director, from what you mentioned before. Um, mm-hmm. And we have a gentleman who is writing um, a screenplay for the show... The very first, or possibly one of the very first ones he's done for a show of this scale, when his previous card caliber of work has been adaptation. Hmm. Interesting mix. And then, of course, you got the, in all of that, you have sort of the lineage of Trigger, and the fact that this is a super robot show, and done in the Trigger sort of, they have their very own house style, and how these things go, that has its genesis in Studio Gynax, and this is all... long way of saying like you have the the newness but you also have the well-trodden path hmm. also that they could go down you know there there's not a blueprint insofar as a source material specifically but like there is a like kind of tried and true genre blueprint like there's some some bound and some some expectations and and what have you that that I think fans rightly have going into a show like this. Absolutely. Speaking of myself here, I mean, I don't know how much this has been discussed previously on the podcast, but for my for me, my experience with Trigger is pretty much entirely kill the kill, which we will be discussing at some point in the future on Warrior Dash Show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but if you want my summation of it right now and how I thought of it, holy balls, was it good. <laughs> I love the bones off that show. And despite the fact that on paper, kill the kill... All of its individual elements should just drive me up the wall. It should give me a headache. Everything about that show somehow, despite what it should do to me and how I should feel about it, makes me feel the opposite. So a high watermark's coming from there. And then on top of that, as you've rightly mentioned, they have the pedigree of their previous shows. I mean, we've had more recently Little Witch Academia, which I've not seen myself because I'm a terrible person and you probably should not listen to me. Um, <laughs> but I, from what I understand, the consensus around that is uniformly positive. People, I think, are very fond of that. And it's also very well That's animated as thought. well. Um, That's what I thought too. But I've recently discovered, recently discovered the, the nasty trigger backlash oh are the uh, <laughs> oh are the are these the uh people who are all sliding in their own bunkers i mean <laughs> no no to be fair <laughs> our day will fair. come <laughs> no 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 to be fair like a lot of 
people that uh, have soured on Trigger are people uh, that I'm friends with and people whose opinion is worth taking seriously. But I was just surprised. Like, uh, I guess I hadn't really kept my ear to the ground hmm. and my finger on the pulse of the fandom in this regard. But, um, but yeah, I think a, a lot of people have uh, kind of soured on Trigger and also revised their opinions of Kill the Kill in the five years since it, it aired and was a phenomenon. Interesting. Um, that's something we'll have to revisit when we do our own look at Kill the Kill. Totally. I mean, I've still got the fairly fresh memories of it, and Lord knows I've become more critical over time as I've watched more and more anime. So <laughs> the fact I like it so much and then people don't, I have to figure out why. Maybe I have my head re-examined, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I still like it. I'm, <laughs> I'm still on board. I am, I'm a, a Trigger and Gynex, uh, like optimist and... and Devotee is not the right word, but I, I, I'm a fan of their work, and I like them, and I think anime is more interesting as a whole when they are firing on all cylinders and they're doing well. Hmm. And they're doing interesting things and taking chances and just making work, making action shows. Yes, indeed. Um, oh. Yeah, that's where I sit on it. Absolutely. So let's actually talk about the show itself in the first episode, which is called Alone and Lonesome. And I'm going to address a very quick elephant in the room here. Let me read you, from Crunchyroll itself, the <laughs> two, three-sentence paragraph that goes with it on the episode. Uh, this is the first one. And it goes something like this. <clears throat> the land has fallen into ruin, and children represent the last hope for humanity. One of them, Hero fails to live up to that purpose and decides to walk away from it all until he meets a girl with horns. A girl who no less has pink hair. Oh my god. We have literally have something very close to Elfin Lead meets Gundam Wing fanfic here. I am so sorry to say it, but I had to get out of the way. Let me let me just say right off the bat, by the way, because funnily enough, Boggy, um, shouts to Boggy if you're listening, he actually asked me my opinions on this show before we started recording, and I said, I'm going to save it for the podcast. Stay tuned, loyal listener. He described um, Darling the Franks and what he had seen so far, because bear in mind, we're only on episode one, so it's not fair to make sweeping judgments at this point. Um, but he described it as what he felt could very well be a competent elfin lead. And here's the thing, like, oh, just... Sweet. Sweet Jesus. But here's, here's the thing. Here's the rub, right? Here's, here's the rub, right? No rubbing. Ew. I'm not talking about that not kind after, of rub. Not if we're talking about Elfin Lead. Oh, God. Oh, I think I might go and find my own bunker now and never communicate with the world again. Bury me under some ice, please. Um, okay, no. The, the, the point I'm trying to make here is that just because it has been quite a while since we did Elfin Lead and maybe perhaps people aren't clear on my perspective on it or maybe people have forgotten or maybe you're a new listener and you've not heard it i personally thought elf and lead was a pile of dog shit but it was a pile of dog shit because it was a concept that could have had promise executed incredibly poorly so when someone says to me that something could be a competent elf and lead i'm actually reasonably excited for that unless they're outright lying to me and trying to trip me up and i don't think buggy's trying to do that this time i think Maybe. We'll find out. If I end up kicking out... I think that it's funny to invoke that show because of the tiny horns, but I don't really see any other overt similarities. It's going to depend on how it develops. I'm I'm, I'm just making the... I made the Elf and Lee joke just simply as a uh, official comparison. <laughs> right. <laughs> also the fact... also funny. Yeah. Also the fact that she ends up naked at one point. Like, how many times did that happen in Elf and Lee with Lucy? Ugh. Anyway, moving on. So, 
Okay, this show is the future. Uh, but it's not the future as we know it. It's one of those old post-apocalypse things, which, of course, if you've, you know, watched Evangelion or if you've watched Gunbuster, you're immediately going to be familiar with that. And indeed, one of the great things about the way this show opens is that we get a couple of nice vistas of dome cities. That's where people live now in this world. Um, maybe a bit too evocative of Final Fantasy, the spirits of him, but dome cities are not exclusive to that, <laughs> thank Christ. So, I, hey. I got, a, I got, like, a near Automata vibe. They were showing like the outside of the domes and kind of the rails and ladder and big giant structures in the middle of a wasteland. I thought that was, I really dug those visual elements like in, in the setting, you know, as they kind of revealed it to us over the course of the episode. Yes. I was just reminded of running up that tower in the beginning of Nier. <laughs> there's a lot of nice verisimilitude, but I mean, if there's one thing I can say about Darling and the Franks and what I've seen so far, is that the visual design, again, is A-tier is stuff. Like, everything looks fantastic. It's well-directed. There's a lot of uh, great scenes of, like, distance between characters being emphasized, both from their physical location as well as what they're actually saying, uh, which we'll come to in a bit. Um, the designs of the worlds, like in the uh, of, of the environment, the machinery inside of it, all the ladders, all the railings, everything's very detailed and very mm -hmm. real feeling. Despite the post-apocalyptic nature of it, too, like the whole thing felt really fresh. Mm. Um, and and maybe it was the color palette which evoked the the Gynex works we mentioned. And I thought another mid two thousands robot show called Erica Seven definitely the color from that I felt were here and, and you know in addition to stuff like Diebus yeah so the show opens with a narration by a girl uh, the girl discussing is discussing with us a bird uh, who tries to fly uh, but can't and we get this is a this is a Chinese mythological creature ah I did not know it's, this it's um, and uh, and yes it, it's only born with one wing uh, and the only way that it can take flight is if um the male and female pair fly together. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder if that'll be important within the next <laughs> three minutes. I wonder. Yeah. They gained that in pretty early. Um Put a pin in this and yeah. we need to talk about this later. <laughs> oh oh we oh we do. We do. So there's that. And we also of course get the impression that maybe she herself feels like, you know, that she's restrained because she can't truly cut loose, to so to speak, can't fly, quote unquote. Mm. So after that brief monologue, we get introduced to this girl who's in um, an aircraft traveling to a city, uh, one of these dome cities specifically. Uh, the aircraft design looks amazing, by the way. Uh, it's fucking huge, and it's great. Reminds me a lot of um, something that Jerry Anderson would do from Thunderbirds, actually. Just big, bulky. Big bulk. It is streamlined, but not massive amounts of gray so It looks good. But the opening line that she says is, you know, um, I want to take a bath. <laughs> and... I thought, okay, we're off. We're off to a strange start here. But eccentric behavior is always an e an interesting character trait to get someone that you know get you engaged in who someone is. It, it felt a bit manic pixie dream girl to me. <laughs> like just over the top strangeness for strangeness' sake. I don't want to. Like you said, I'm I'm not. This is not, I'm not writing anything off. Like I like her character well enough, and I like her design a whole bunch. Yeah, her military outfit is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I love that stuff, and then. But as the episode went on, I liked her more just at the beginning. Just like, oh, I mean, oh, she's so strange. It's so charming. <laughs> she's also possibly like, taking the mick out of people because 
what she uh, says yeah. next, uh, this just made me laugh, is she's leaning over and we can't see who this person is who's in the aircraft that she's speaking to, but she asks them, do I smell? Now, okay, that question on its own is odd, unless you have a BO problem, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, she's got pink hair and is the protagonist of an anime show. She probably smells like daisies all the time. Whatever. Point being is that the person she's asking this to is a man who is critically injured and wearing an oxygen mask. The only thing he's smelling right now is, you know, the stuff that's keeping his lungs from collapsing. (laughs) He can't tell if she smells or not. (laughs) I just felt like she might have been rubbing it in. Uh. Yeah, doesn't doesn't seem very, um, how do you say, compassionate to the plight of hers. No, that that becomes, yeah, that becomes apparent later on, pretty much. We also meet two other people, uh, one of the uh, other high-ranking female officers and a scientist guy uh, who looks a lot like Gramps from Mega Man Legends. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah, he looks a lot like uh, Grandpa from Mega Man Legends, actually. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> like, I, when I saw that, I was like, where have I seen that design before of, an, of a really old man with a big moustache and he's got, like, half a metal face? And then it hit me. He was from Mega Man Legends, so... Uh, is, is, is he the Harvey Weinstein of this fucking universe? Oh, we've not even got that bit yet. <laughs> I mean, oh, man. I did, uh, well, Christ almighty. I just wanted to... Just, yeah, we're just to punch, punch him in the non-metal half of the day. Oh, the undercarriage. Presumably that's not made of metal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, moving swiftly on. There is a brief discussion here, um, by the way, about oceans and bathing. Like, the, the bathing is actually more relevant just simply because... While it's not related to the bird image, I get the impression from what this lady was saying that she basically wants more freedom. And Well, we learn that, of course, because she does flat out run away later on from the her handlers, the military. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that will develop, because immediately after we've dealt with her on the aircraft as that comes in, we then cut to a very similar opening monologue, same reference to the mythological Gian, as you mentioned, uh, but it's by a guy. Uh, this guy resting in the grass somewhere in one of the dome cities, actually the same one that the aircraft is coming to and he finds that a bird has tried flying out of the dome but of course because it's transparent end up barreling straight into it full force and has really injured itself um and he relates how this is hero by the way um yes hero not hero yui thank christ <laughs> don't even <laughs> he's more likable than this guy by a long shot uh, sorry he's more likable than hero yui for a long shot that's for sure thank christ oh, but the low bar of likability. Well, it's just more like stepping out the front door in the morning, really. You it's struggle to get under that one. <laughs> exactly. So <clears throat> the, he also then relates this bird's plight to his own in that he feels um, restrained. Now, cast your mind back to a little show that you and I like called Macross Frontier. What was Alto's primary complaint in the first episode? He, uh, liked, he, he felt, of course, tied down, right? He wanted yeah. to score freely. Yes, indeed. So I'm like, okay, you've got me on board now. That's a, that's a relatable character element. I like this. I see where you're going with the, you know, the comparisons to both, you know, the mythological creature and the actual, you know, need for freedom. Like, you know, I want to go bathing. I want to go swimming in an ocean. And he wants to, you know, yeah. feels he like seems the bird. A little more, he seems a little more navel-gazy than all. Hmm. He also looks a hell of a lot like the male character from Fate Grand Order that you play as. <laughs> Yeah, he's just wearing a black outfit rather than a white one. Um, it's true. But as the episode goes on, what we learn is that we, if there's one thing that this episode does slightly to its detriment is that it doesn't really deliver a lot of organic exposition like to explain things. Like You get terms yeah. thrown at you very quickly, like 
I hear that there's a girl coming here today who's got horns, and if a parasite joins her, the darling, um, then she'll eat them alive. I'm like, wait, wait, what? What's a parasite? What's a darling? Like, can we run these terms by us? Like, can we have an audience proxy? It's it's the catch twenty two problem because you can't really deliver exposition to anyone but an audience proxy. Like, it's difficult. It's it's very hard to make it organic. Yeah. But then you've got the opposite end of this thing, which is I'm like, uh, what? What? Like, couldn't we just call them pilots? Like, why are they called that? I'm sure, I'm sure that'll become apparent later. I'm hoping this is not just word salad for the sake of it. If I had to just wild guess on parasites, it's because they have to, you know, the par- the pilots have a parasitic relationship with mm. in terms of they have to, they need each other and they have to be together to pilot the robot. Mm. This is a very elementary sort of guess, like... But speaking about the like the grander issue, the bigger issues, the exposition, like this has been a thorn in the side of the robot show for year for decades. Because one of the like pioneers of you know robot shows, one of the, the big figures is Yoshiuki uh, Tamino, you know, the the director, creator of Mobile Suit Gundam. Mm-hmm. And he has a habit of throwing the audience into a fully functioning world and like you have to stumble around in it to mm. orient yourself and figure out what's what like he's not really big on easing you in and kind of setting you up with proper terminology and a, a proper sort of world and its history before escalating to bigger things like he just throws you in mm. like it's the worst in stuff like zeta gundam like Oh, good to wink. Try to. Well, he did not have a hand, thankfully, in in that one. That would it could have even been worse. Oh, gee, that worse? But, but no, no, no. I mean, I look. No, that's that's mean. Like Tamino probably would have helped that show, and he's done good stuff. And I even like Zeta Gundam. Hmm. But you have to make a real effort to like it. Is the thing because he doesn't make it easy for you. And I feel like a lot of you know, uh, the the his old stuff is really formative robot stuff, and a lot of future creators figuratively sat at his knee and learned robot shows from you know folks like him and it yeah it's a thing that uh, you know a lot of other robot creators have done as well like yeah first episode is you know is word salads is you don't really quite know what's going on 100 percent. you're not aware of the gravity or scale of conflict or people's place in the world and yeah, it can it, it can mean you have to watch the episode a couple of times, or maybe you just won't appreciate some stuff on the first viewing. Yeah, uh, that you otherwise would if there was a if there was a proper introduction to the world, you know, these problems would not exist. Yeah, well, the the problem. Let's just um, do a comparison between this first episode and the first episode of Mo Junkie, like opening minute of mmo junkie has morico come in say i'm home to no one and collapses and immediately you're on board and half of that without even the show even having to try is just simply because it's set in a real world environment i'm not talking about frudimir i'm talking about like the apartments you know it's immediately familiar iconography like you know you know what an apartment looks like you know what a pc looks like you probably know what an mmo looks like you're not having to be introduced to some service. so it gets off running immediately with character related stuff whereas this one is like okay 
There's a bit of character stuff floating around here with these two people who I don't really know, but that's fine. That's a good start. And there's all this other word salad. There's a bunch of school kids somewhere talking about stuff, saying that there's a transfer student coming in. Also that Hero's basically a wet blanket and he's useless. <laughs> he is a wet blanket. So there's that, but otherwise we're not really clear immediately on what the scenario is. Like, why is, like, it's a post-apocalypse. You can gather that fairly quickly because Dome Cities wouldn't be a thing unless there was a need for them. But why is it a post-apocalypse? What's going on? Et cetera, et cetera. Is yeah, that... just watch the watch the episode twice. Yeah. I mean, because you, it just, in the context of robot shows, it's certainly not the worst. But in the context of just media, like it, it could stand to learn a thing or two about how to ease you in. Indeed. Speaking of easing in, uh, after the airplane lands, after Hero's uh, expedition, we get uh, an amusing staple I found of a... Uh, of or rather i don't know if this is a callback or not but gigantic escalators like <laughs> i remember that uh, being a thing in evangelion like right like in nerve like misato or whoever would be coming down yeah. the escalator and it's like ridiculous and i just think to myself why does it have a why does it have a lift or an elevator this is not you know this is incredibly inefficient um but this is the point where we uh get introduced to the show's villain um well not really but i didn't like him uh, immediately he did this. My uh, personal villain. <laughs> yeah. So Gramps decides that what he'll do is uh, the... Um, I'm so sorry I don't know her name, but I don't think it was ever actually mentioned, or if it was, it wasn't paying enough attention. Yeah, I don't know either. So this lady, unfortunately, decides what he'll do after talking to her is he'll decide to fondle her butt. So... <clears throat> no. Fuck off. No, thank you. Just... Like, I mean... what purpose does that serve? Like... This is the thing about stuff like this that always just bugs me. I never get why it's in there. I don't get what purpose it serves narratively. Are we, like, if we wide reasons not to like this character, can we have something more concrete and that something more relevant over time? I don't even think that, that it's that. Like, I don't, like, it, it makes sense that it would be, but, like, I don't even think that, um, the people doing this see it as a particularly dislikable thing for him to do or a thing that would turn the audience against him which is really sad but that's just the sense i got of it i think it was there it just to, is what it is yeah it i think it was it was there so that we could see the cute mad side of lady officer that she's very by the book she's very professional but then you see her offer game and oh she's blushing and it's cute and that was the device that they used to make that situation happen and uh, it sucks yeah, I mean, I don't ask for much, but I do expect that we get our level of humour to be above somewhere around the level of Kevin James or Adam Sandler. It's not hard. <laughs> it's not hard. Please. Anyway, but it we... does make me dis. It, it like you said, it makes me dislike this guy. I I you don't know. I don't get the impression they're going to go anything long term with that though. Like it's just a thing he does. Like I would get it. I would totally get this behavior if he was doing it because he had some sort of secret thing going on and he just thought he'd fuck with people until he was you know on his way or whatever. Maybe that will be a thing, I don't know. But anyway, alright. Just very powerful, and we'll see no cause. Yeah. And it's shitty. And maybe, maybe it's like when you have a racist grandfather. Like, you know, oh, it's just what he does. Just just let let, let old grandpa be before we go get him his new colostomy right? bag or whatever. That's, that is a, that's a can of worms. Like, when is, when can you just let... Oh, I'm, I'm not defending his behavior. Or, be... or racist no, 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 behavior I, in general. I, I think it's a genuine question of, like, because there are old people that are just gonna be shitty <laughs> but old-fashioned like quote unquote no, yeah they're not gonna 
turn it around in their lifetime. They don't have the capacity to rewire themselves. Yeah, I've got half a face. I'm going to fondle her ass anyway. Why the fuck not? I get paid too much. I can't be sat from this project. Fuck it. I mean, yeah. So in in this case, he's clearly on the wrong side of that line because he's like has agency and is like, you know, in the workplace involved with people and is lucid and coherent. So anyway, let's not get too... Yeah, yeah. fuck, fuck that guy. <laughs> All right, so after that happens, the girl um, who we mentioned before, the one with the horns, everyone looks around like, where is she? Because she's not on the... Um, She's not on the escalator. She's getting out of a door somehow that's like across this gigantic chasm. How she got there, I'll never know, but it's cool. Like, I don't know. So, I mean, in the, in the midst of the commotion, the sexual misconduct on the escalator, like, she got away and the old guy, scientist man, grandpa for Mega Man, is just basically like, oh, hey, guess what? Our lady got away. She, what? How? What? Yeah, she just, there she goes. <laughs> like, very casually pointing out she's flown the coop, as it were. Yep. <laughs> I get the feeling that's... Bath. That's not a joke, by the way, because we cut to a forest. So Hero, um, presumably because he left his phone at home and can't ask Alexa, like, to direct him back to where he lives, uh, is wandering around. <laughs> he has no idea where he's fucking going, and he bumps into a lake. And at this lake, he finds there's a bunch of women's clothes um, on a tree stump near there, near the shoreline. Oh boy, if there's one thing that the show's already illustrated, you don't have to be young or old to be a dickhead, or to be Im- an immature prick. Because he looks at his, like, women's clothes, and what does he pick up first? What is the first thing that he picks up? <laughs> I didn't even notice that he picked it up until later. Yeah. I just thought he put his hand on them. Frilly pink panties. Delightful. Ah, <sighs> just... Like, just leave the bee. You don't, know, you don't know where they've been. You don't know who they belong to. Oh, uh, yeah. And He's the, a dumbass. <laughs> and the person who owns these could very well want to kill you for that. Also like, true. Yeah. So, for your own survival, folks, Mori Desho here has a top life lesson for you. If you find pink panties in the forest, don't touch them. You will be killed yeah, otherwise. Right. Like, literally, yep. a bear will fucking eat you or something, or you'll be murdered by a hunter. I don't know. It'll be some hostile shit. Could be anything. Don't do it. So... We get a shot then of this girl like what, uh, swimming in the water. Looks almost like a silhouette of a monster, even like you'd think it was like a mm. sea serpent or something. Which I think I don't know if that's intentional or not, but nice idea because give, given that she is, of course, you know, different with the horns and all. So she comes out of the water naked as a jaybird uh, with a fish in her mouth because again she's <laughs> <This is yeah>. incredible. <laughs> I, I mean, couldn't she have just gone to the local subway? Is there not one like round the corner? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, The character must be doing something at all times to put the men around her off. That seems about right. To throw them off their game. (laughs) Because this lady, whom uh, we should say her name is 002. I didn't realize she was a part of MI6, but I think that's a different matter. So anyway. (laughs) So 002, uh, she and Hero, of course, meet at this point. And we get a very clear contrast of their personalities in that... Basically, 002 is entire extrovert, and Hero is half introvert, not quite all the way to being a complete stuck-in-his-shell kind of thing, but it's very clear who is in control of the conversation here, which is to say 002. She's completely assured of herself. He's, you know, well, all the blood's rushing out of his head immediately for obvious reasons. It's going to different places, so he can't think straight, but I doubt he could anyway, based on what we know of him at this point. Um, They have a discussion. Uh, it turns out that Hero, as it happens, um, 
he is a part of the program for children to pilot these uh, robots, the Franks. The Darlings being, of course, the pilots. So mm-hmm. you need a certain kind of, I think, psychic or psionic potential, something like that, some sort of mental ability in order to do so. And Hero, because presumably there's not much between his head at the moment, uh, doesn't have that. Uh, so the last time he was going through training to become a, a darling, uh, he couldn't do it. There's a flashback with him and a partner showing him, like, you know, that he's trying to activate the robot and he can't even pull that off. This actually... Be- in the simulator. Yeah. That's what I call that flashback. Surprisingly, this also reminds me a lot of Pacific Rim, because that had a similar idea uh, to it. You need, you've got two people piloting the robot, and you need people who are compatible with each other in order to make it work. That's probably about where the similarities really start and end other than it's just simply big robots and kaiju. But anyway, just thought it was worth it. Really I really did like the contrast between the two characters um, in that scene. Like, he's sitting down looking down she's standing up you know she's not clothed he's fully clothed and she is proud he's shamed hero is very much like you know i can't do anything like my circumstances have dealt me this hand like woe is me and then she basically jumps on and she's like you know if your circumstances are this make them different you know if you lose a partner grab a new one like just grab life and don't let it dictate to you. Like you, you dictate to life, you take the initiative. Mm -hmm. And uh, that on top of her being a woman and her being strange and unlike any person he's ever like, it just kind of takes him aback. And uh, it's a really fun scene. Yeah. I'm hoping that this is the start of an interesting character dynamic between the two, because it's very on the nose. I have to confess in how it's made in that we literally have two people from different worlds. We have, Played and straight versus unusual and different. And mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even need to spoil this for you because if you're watching, if you've watched any robot show that involves this sort of thing ever, and you've listened to what we said about hero situation, who she is, you could probably guess they're going to partner up at some point. And of indeed, course. and indeed they do. So let me just offer my speculation ahead of time and what I hope. Although this doesn't necessarily make it, you know, the ideal way the show should go. But what I want to see is as this goes on, I want to see this dynamic develop and I want to see them change as a result of each other. Like, yeah, I want to see, you know, Hero maybe grow some balls for a start and maybe he learns that from her. Maybe she learns, you know, some sort of like human affection because obviously she's being handled and paraded around. Like the, the school children who we see earlier who were Hero's colleagues uh, say like she has horns and she devours people alive. So... It wouldn't surprise me again with the Elf and Lead comparison there that, you know, she's been mistreated or is otherwise shunned by her appearance or her otherworldly nature. Yeah, because apparently she has monster blood in her. She's actually part Klaxosaur, I believe, from mm-hmm. what is mentioned. Yeah, they re- reveal right at the end of the episode. Also, I'm wondering if that'll pay off later, but we'll see. I mean, you could have... I mean, <laughs> just, I could just see them fighting a big monster toward the end of the show and then her squinting, like... Dad? <laughs> Roar, this is for yeah, never calling me. me. <laughs> this is for Don't spending my college fund. I'm all alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh. Also, at this point, I should mention that um, 002 decides to uh, kiss Hero. Does that count as assault, or am I just being too generous? I don't know. Because he certainly didn't... Uh, but then again, I don't know what he wanted at that point. I think he was... I don't think he she did when they were in the woods. I think she just licked him. Oh, there. she said, "Ah, oh, you're you right." Yes, a kiss. 
and he's just sort of like, oh, what? And she says, the well, they're very special. <laughs> like, I don't know if you know this, but the she seems to have her own lingo for a lot of different things. Like, you know, she never says parasite or partner. You know, she refers to partners as darlings. And I got a feeling that that will be like, she'll have kind of her own, her own way to refer to different things and her own, it might reflect a different understanding of the world uh, than the establishment, which is very, very like it's taken root. <laughs> you know what I'm like? Whatever government slash religious organization is uh, in power is very, very in power. Indeed. Okay, so eventually, um, 002's handlers, including uh, Mr. Oxygen Mask Man, um, turn up and collect uh, her and take her away. They're having a ceremony today to anoint uh, the new pairs of pilots for these uh, machines, the Franks. Uh, so that's why they're all there. This whole scene that follows... Um, I immediately got kill the kill flashbacks with just the scale of it. Like mm. the ceremony is happening in the middle of this gigantic auditorium and the people there mm. take up maybe one hundredth of the space dead center. It's incredibly yeah. imposing. And there's a lot of like really nifty formal wear. Like there are some attendants there who are wearing what look like, they look almost like Batman cows, but they have no eyes over them. They just literally go straight up uh, into cone shapes. And so they're anointing these cu- these uh, couples here, these uh, um, pairs of um, pilots. Uh, this is interspersed with Hero uh, relating how he failed the test that we mentioned before, and also what happens with his partner who, at the time, who is now leaving. So yeah, they're they're both supposed to leave and go back to quote the orphanage. Yes, which, I mean, when is that ever good? No, no, it's not. There's some nice direction here with the fact that uh, Hero and his former partner lady. Um, they they have distance between them physically with where they're stood yeah. and well with how it's framed as well so that's quite nice and there's a couple of discussions between the classmates as well about what's happened to them so eventually uh, this lady um, Naomi yes that's right thank you very much I was actually sure. just looking for it then uh, Naomi leaves <laughs> on a separate um, it looks like in one of those if, if you've ever played air hockey it looks like one of the fi- the paddles that you use it's just also right. a bit more bulbous but this is like one of these transport things that takes people between cities. So but before we move on to it, I just want to say, speaking of Naomi, you know, I, I said that um, the way that Zero uh, Two talks might reflect her different understanding of the world. Well, it, uh, Hero as well seems to be kind of unique in that he cares about names. Hmm. Like whenever Naomi was leaving, she said, I really like the name you gave me. Yeah. The Naomi, like all the, all the kids are assigned numbers. Yeah, 002 is not exclusive in this. Um, and that leads me to wonder what her name will be later on, because doubtless she's going to get one. And- I mean, he, you know, he asked her name when she was leaving, and she was like, sort of like, why does it matter? Like, we don't have names, you know, we're just numbers. <laughs> yeah. So I think there, how do I say it? Like, there is a parallel between Hero and Zero Two, just insofar as I think the way they talk betrays that they have their own unique views of the world. Like, you know, he seems to care about people in a sort of different way than most people would think. At least that's, maybe I'm reading a lot into it, but it seems like if a person wants to assign names that to things that are just simply given numbers, he's interested in creating personal connections. That's something, at least. Yeah, I agree. So Naomi leaves. Uh, she actually gets on a separate one of these air hockey puck kind of whatever things. Um, Those things are so cool. They, I have seen I that. Really like, them. like, they remind me a lot of like a certain 
like building design I saw in Thunderbirds of all things. I know again that sounds like a straight right, but like the very bulbous nature with the gantry around the side. I've like I've seen that before in fucking Jerry I'm just show. rolling around in the desert. Yeah. This is so cool looking. So it's a good thing though that Hero decided to be a bit late for that, um, as it turns out. Um we get some images of the Franks they they are revealed. But um there's mm-hmm. a rum- there's a rumbling in the distance, unfortunately, and oops, Naomi's dead. Because uh, her transport spear is gobbled up by the earth, and then a Klaxosaur appears. Also, you talked about being on the nose. <laughs> I had to chuckle a little bit, because when Naomi, before she, of course, gets killed, and she is leaving, burning her giant puck, she turns around and is like, hey, I'm going to leave, but you can still make it. <laughs> and she literally, literally gives him baggage. Damn! You're right. I did not think of that. Ooh. He's, Ooh. She saddled him with baggage. Ooh. And, uh, right before she dies. And she says, share this with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm going to bear that in mind if ever I have to die or suddenly from an unexpected kaiju attack. Here you go, Doc. Here's my phone. Deal with it. Oh, God. Right. So, Here, take, take, this, take on this new burden. Enjoy. A burden shares a burden half, but it doesn't count if I get eaten by a dinosaur. Bye! <laughs> Exactly. So, the Klaxosaurs. Um, immediate visual comparison in my head was from the Ava unit, specifically Ava 1. Oh, yeah, okay. I was thinking Gurren Lagan, but that is something you haven't seen. So, like, yeah, Ava units also totally... Yeah, the mouth in particular. Mm-hmm. So, this Klaxosaur um, is a pretty huge. It's <laughs> blue, and I, I love blue and black colour schemes. Uh, people who play yeah. it in Gilsey Gear can attest to that, but a different map. Um, so it moves towards the city, and of course the ceremony is still going on at this point, and none of the pilots are ready. So we can't scramble anyone to actually, you know, go out and defend it. Bit surprised that there aren't other pilots there already qualified on standby just in case. Like, what, they all just died the previous day and they were doing, like, a quick re... You know... It's an entirely fair point. But anyway, it doesn't matter, because... Again, it sails a bit troby, but you can probably guess where some of this is going. So they're trying to scramble the robots, but they can't do it in time. And the Klaxosaur fires on the hangars, because uh, the Klaxosaur also has the ability to shoot giant Bahamut-style mega flares out of its mouth. Um, I would expect it no less, to be honest. I mean, I wouldn't expect to get to burp on it or anything like that, so mm-hmm. I'll take that. Uh, but because the hangars are damaged, half the robots can't get out. Everything's in a general state of panic. Um, Hero, because he was on the loading gantry, um, he runs along to try and keep up with the Klaxosaurs, find out what's going on, and sees a robot chasing after it in the in the dust. This bit, I really like the animation now, because they speed it up as it comes close, and then slow down yeah. the presence of their time to take it in just for a moment. And it disappears again into the, into the dust and the debris that follow around it. So, the robot appears and fights the Klaxosaur. It, it's supposedly very ugly the... to, like, the, the papal figure yeah. that's there, and the scientist man, and... They've they refer to zero two as this before in an earlier scene, but um they call her here a pistol, right? And said, did she eat her stamen again? She's supposed so she's supposed to be a part killer, right? Like a curse. Like whoever partners up with her ends up dying, and she's taking on this reputation as uh as a partner killer. This is this is a not uncommon uh trope in mecha shows. You'll have a cursed pilot if you fly out a mission with you know, Colonel so-and-so, like, you're guaranteed to die, and but he always survives. But the language is interesting, again, because these are, I think, the sex organs flower, like the pistol you and the are, stamen. You are correct. Production. You are entirely spot so, on. 
So yeah, so uh, apparently, like her eating her taman is just lingo for her. You know, this pistol kills its partners. <laughs> mm, yeah, and right. it's it's neat. It's neat, but you know, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. I guess you could say that perhaps the terminology is overly flowery. I that was good. I didn't even see it coming. You really caught me off guard. That was my last surprise. <laughs> oh, I'm too good. I'm too good. I'm too good. Oh, anyway, you're a real, you're a real pistol, but <laughs> well, I piss taker. But anyway, that's it. Okay. By the way, the part of the killer fingers, it turns out, is entirely correct because you remember Mister Oxygen Mask Man we mentioned before. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Like, I found this funny, and I probably shouldn't have found it funny, but he's 002's partner, and he was injured in the last battle, um, to the point where he, you know, he's got, like, a splint, uh, uh, sorry, a, a sling on his arm, he's breathing for an oxygen mask on even when he's walking. His um, eyes are, like, just blood red. <laughs> he, shouldn't, he shouldn't be out of bed, essentially. No. Um, no. So, the Klaxosaur throws this robot into the city wall, and Mr. Oxygen Mask Man is ejected from it and is, well, he's dead. And I, I just I just found it funny that they sent him back out in the first place, given that he looked like he could barely, you know, he could barely run up a flight of stairs without getting winded. But, well, I guess you gotta do, you know, gotta work with what you've got. Maybe she pressed the Ray Ayanami, The Ray Ayanami plan. Ah, uh, yes. To be fair, Ray lived a lot longer, though. I mean, this guy, I think, got all of maybe two minutes screen time and had three lines. Yeah. Like he There's was, no that guy. there was, but it was a red shirt. So hey, there you go. <laughs> so he's dead. Zero zero two is injured, but she comes out of the, of the cockpit to look at um, a hero who's managed to find him there. Yeah, they crash into the side of the thing right where he, you know, yeah, yeah coincidence. <laughs> Indeed. Um, was it just me, by the way, or did zero zero two's outfits look a lot like Oscar's from Evangelion? Um, the plug, yeah. the plug suit kind of thing, whatever she's totally. wearing. Yeah, very much so. I was still thinking about Die Buster, so that's where I, my head was at. But no, you're. I think you're right. Uh, also, yeah. I, I mean, with the pedigree of Trigger and the fact that they came from Gainax in the first place, and you mm-hmm. know all the other things that they've done, I'm for sure. I'm not willing to discount any references here. Maybe, no. maybe I'm leaping, but I'm, I don't know. Uh, so she's pretty badly injured, but she makes like you know. Uh, a good quip out of it. She's in high spirits. She's just like, I'm going monster hunting. And, and to be fair, Monster Hunter World is out now, so maybe she'll play out on the PS4 in a cockpit. I don't know. Um, but Hero's like, okay, you're you're gonna, you know, you're buggered. You're gonna die. Like, you're hurt. And she's like, no, I'm always alone. I can handle this. I'll get it going. And Hero decides, okay, it's time to nut up. It's time for me to step up. And so he decides to, you know, I don't know where I belong. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to try and do something. So let me help you. Let me jump in with you and see if I can actually get this going. He actually starts crying because he's sat emotional over it. Like he he's doesn't... been through a lot. He's been through a lot in the short period. I know. He picks up a pair of woman's panties for the first time. That yeah, is a traumatic yeah. experience. He has a sexual awakening. He's failed, flunked out of, out of school just before that. And just after that, his, uh, his good friend and partner has died right in front of his eyes. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's been through a lot. Yep. Comes to think of it, when you said that his partner died before his eyes, does that mean that he similarly is also cursed? I wonder. That is interesting. Uh, that's really interesting. Well, he's, he's untested. He's untested, but I mean, uh-huh. he got his partner killed without even being in a robot. Yeah. I mean, that's an accomplishment. Um, <laughs> so zero 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 two is like, okay, you and I are very similar, and she's like, all right, let's make out. 
And so yeah. they make out. She drags him into the pod. Uh, they're Be still... my darling. Be my darling, yes. Get on my comfy pod seat with vibrating functions. <laughs> like, no, seriously, they're literally... Even, they're li- even play the Monster Hunter. They are they are literally straddling each other. What yes. I what I actually like about this, believe it or not, though, is that after he gets in the pod and the robot starts up again, um, previously it was in some sort of like feline cougar like tiger form, and now it's actually humanoid. Again, apparently ugly. People have strange standards. Weird. Like they clearly have like a really specific aesthetic in this world. Like the animalistic robot didn't strike me as particular, but I think it was informed by the fact that like that her you know. She had eaten her stamen, the partner that was dead at that point, and uh, and so that's why you know the the single sort of um, the single pilot, you know, the single winged Geon, as it were, can I, I guess is a thing that strikes them as as uh, as ugly. You know, maybe uh, maybe incapable of taking flight, maybe yeah, Earth quadrupedal uh, animal. So yeah, becoming fe- becoming feral, becoming feral. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, it's all kind of interesting world building that they're doing. Mm. I, I I think like much more so than uh, in the beginning of the episode at this point, they're doing some, some neat world building stuff. Yeah. Uh, fairly like fairly eloquently, you know, I hesitate to use the word, use the word eloquent. Cause it's not, it's not the most tidy I've ever seen, but they're doing a lot with a little bit. Mm-hmm. So efficient is maybe the word. Good, good choice. What I like about this, though, is, of course, what follows is a fight scene. And the fight scene is awesome because it's Trigger. Trigger doing fight scenes, what do you expect? Yeah. Like, that that sounds horrible for me to say like that. I just go, it's what did you expect? But it is, it is genuinely a, a very exciting, a very badass fight scene. Uh, because the robot has a, like, punchy, uh, stabby knife thing, a spear tip, <laughs> uh, that it can electrocute. So, at some point, the robot also gains a full fa- face and a voice. And it can talk. It can talk, yeah. It can talk. <laughs> And it's like, awesome. and it's like, stay dead. I mean it. No, well, no it doesn't say that. <laughs> it doesn't say that. Um, now, what I like about this, this fight, made though, me think of, uh, God damn it, made me think of the uh, particularly terrible FMV fighting game, Stay Dead. Have you ever seen this? I can't say I have, and I never will. Oh God, it's um, it's been, I've, it's been mentioned on one of the interstitials on a previous Ari Desho episode. But oh god i i'll have to show you stay dead for those out there at home look at giant bombs quick look of stay dead and prepare to laugh oh my god <laughs> well that's my nightmare fuel lined up um <laughs> but what i really like about this actual fight scene here is that while all this is going on not once do we actually cut to the inside of the robot to see what's happening to 002 and to hero not once the only time yeah. we see them after that is when they leave the robot after they've won, after they've blown the Klaxosaur up. And at this point, Hero's like, well, he's out cold. 002's carrying him over his, sh- over his shoulder while she herself is injured. But I like that. I like that we don't get any insight into that immediately because um, it leaves mystery for what next. Like, what actually happened to him in there? Like, what does this involve? I also, I men- should mention the Klaxosaur explodes into blue paint as well. Um... So I suppose that saves on municipal costs. I mean, you don't need to, you know, redecorate the outside or anything. It's a nice new paint job. Done well. <laughs> Maybe it tastes like blueberry. I don't know. But yeah. You know, zero two is up for that sort of thing. Indeed. So um, we do get a closing monologue from Hero saying that he's finally made a step of his own that he might be able to quote unquote fly again, which is to say that he might have a purpose in life now. And that's the end of the episode pretty much. 
we get closing credits over the rest of Hero's classmates come up to see him as he's dragged out half alive um, by 002. And that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. So, overall thoughts. Let me just... I don't... Mm, I like this episode. Certain annoying anime tropes aside, panties and, <laughs> and butt fondling, you know, and all that. All that crap. Yeah. yeah. All that absolute crap. But the thing for me is that you said it yourself, Doc, um, not on the cast, but off on Discord, is that character is king for me. And I think this is not really so much the show's fault as more it's just what it's got to deal with because of its high concept setting. Uh-huh. But I didn't get too much character stuff for us. Like, I have basic ideas here. I have, like, you know, that Hero's got the Alto thing going on and he wants to, you know, be free and outside of this dome. I've got the idea that 002 similarly wants to be free and I've got the ideas that they're going to probably play off each other and come to, you know, change over time because of their interactions and all the stuff they're inevitably going to go through. But the problem with all this is that I didn't... Like, Hero in particular feels like a very generic character to me in a certain... in a lot of ways. Like, he feels very plain. I mean... Again, to make the unfortunate Macross Frontier comparison, which feels unfair. I mean, that's like... <laughs> that's like comparing your local takeout to, like, you know, the fat duck by Heston Blumenthal. It's not, it's not you know, ah! a, a valid comparison. Um, yeah. But the, the thing with him was that we already got a lot of interplay between him and his friends, like, you know, the kind of, like, man rivalry, shall we call it. You know, everyone's calling him princess and all that his disdain for Cheryl and all that. We get a couple of different things dealt in very quickly. And also the fact that he doesn't look like a conventional episode. I mean, Hero's design is standard. <laughs> he is, he is he the... really is. I feel like it's, it can't be number one in the creative character, the hair. Yeah. Ball, but I feel like it's number two or three. <laughs> he is, he is very close to the default settings of what you get in Skyrim. <laughs> He's standard. And, that's a shame because I I didn't unfortunately get a chance to rewatch it before doing uh, this um, stream of thought. Although I wanted to because what I wanted to do was I wanted to rewatch just episode one of Kill the Kill and compare because one thing we have to stress when we're doing these stream of thoughts is that we're doing it bit by bit. So I'm not really going to go lay into the show heavily over how it stands right now because understandably there is a lot of things that are going to be filled in later and a lot of ways in which characters can grow. I mean, I've seen tons of shows that start off very, you know, they're slow burners, and then they mm-hmm. go completely off the rails. I mean, there's a certain show recently that we'll be discussing soon that uh, absolutely fits that bill and then some. I mean, that went stress. <laughs> I don't think it started off slow, though. <laughs> that was a relative turn. Yeah, It started off right. slow for its, by its own standards and then just decided uh-huh. to, you know, crank it up to 11 and never stop going. But anyway, yeah, yeah. so... Yeah, I've seen stuff that... um. I mean, the the example I always hold up is, uh, oh god damn it, what is it? It's um, it was a Dreamcast video game, gun in the title, gun, 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 grave, gun grave. Yes. Okay. The Yasuhiro Naito thing. Uh, gun grave has a terrible first episode, awful, just actively bad. But as soon as it switches to the flashback in episode two, golden. Yeah. Incredible. Amazing oh. mafia story anime, fantastic. Mm. So these things can turn. They can, and I have to say as well, like what we what we've seen so far is absolutely fine. 
But that also, to me, that also to me feels like the worst kind of criticism, because oh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep watching. Of course, I mean, I, there's certainly enough to like here. Like all the visual design elements are excellent as always. Like I'd expect no less from Trigger, and they've done they've done themselves well on this. So that alone will keep me interested for a while. But I'm hoping that now that we've got the initial like setup, we've got like you know we've set the table, that they actually put something delicious out for here for us to talk into. That's the way I see it. Because I again, again think back to Kill the Kill episode one, and immediately we've got a non-standard protagonist, and we've got Ryuko, who not only is she a lady, but she's a very brusque, angry, punk-style lady, yes. with, a, with a unique design, like red and black hair. We've got great visuals, like, you know, of the sweeping shots of the Academy, and the fact that it's all very, you know, dare I say it, like, 1930s, 1940s, like, monolith, like, metropolis oh. kind of thing. Yeah. It, yeah. And and that's not to put down Frank's visual design, but I'm just saying that Killer Kill knocks it so hard out of the park on the first episode. I was like, right, I'm in. You got me. You got me yeah, sold. They, they really went for broke. And, they did. And it was a new studio full of enthusiasm, yes. ready to burst out of the blocks and express itself. I, I suppose this, I, is a, this is a co-production, you know? Yeah, this is true. Let's not lay everything at Trigger's feet because that's not f- fair. I mean, that's not also to say, you know, that A1 didn't contribute good stuff to this. Mm-hmm. So, for sure. In the end, I'm going to say that it's a good start. Nothing truly exceptional that's lit my world on fire. One or two questionable moments, and which I hope <laughs> they keep to an absolute minimum or just ex- excise outright. But there have been worse starters, certainly. And. Therefore, in the end, um, since we like to do our you know usual ratings, I will give this show three out of five oxygen masks. Ah, very good. So my thoughts are that I would expect to really kind of look at the world building, and it seems like this show has the potential to be a really nice world building exercise. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of interesting ways it can go in terms of the history of the world and the worldview of the characters and the governing body. In fact, I'll just get into this now. A a lot of the um, negativity toward this show in particular can be summed up with the phrase forced hetero. Heteronormativity is something that is enforced uh, very strongly in this fictional society here. Mm, that's um, true actually i i suppose the male I, the male female pairing yeah you're right i did is so like that. important to like piloting the robots and you're told that if the children can't pilot the robot they are this is a quote useless hmm. and i know that you know i myself am not am not queer i'm not an lgbt person but if i was a member of that community i can absolutely understand like raising an eyebrow to this show yeah, and saying excuse me. <laughs> like, That's true. I I, um, I confess I hadn't thought of that, especially because I didn't actually mention earlier whether I was discussing it. But as you point out, like it is guy and girl. Now in this show's weak defense, we don't know enough yet. But yeah, but and this is a big but. There was nothing else stopping them from simply being like you know, just because we don't know anything doesn't mean like it doesn't confirm it one way or the other. It's the watchmaker argument, you know, like. <laughs> Well obviously, yes. well, obviously, there's guys and girls there for a reason, right? But if, by contrast, if they had been, you know, one or two, like, two guys, and even then they could have both been straight, 
or two girls who could have both be straight. That doesn't prove jack shit either. But I absolutely get where you're coming from there. And bear in mind that we've also had the other warning flags as well. Uh, thank you, uh, Gramps from uh, Mega Man Legends. Um, Jesus. Yeah, I can see people having a bit of whiff of the old, oh, here we go, not this crap again. Grandpa Harvey. <sighs> so, again, like, that, I think it's unfortunate. Uh, I also think that there's a chance, and I, I hope this bears out, that this, that the male-female pairing thing is not necessarily like part of the fabric of the reality of that universe, but just something that the current establishment government is big on and believes. Hmm. They see beauty in it, they see function, but perhaps that civilization will will fall, perhaps new discoveries will be made, perhaps things will change and need to change for that civilization to triumph in the end. Mm. Uh, over its enemy, or or become something new, or evolve. You know, we've certainly seen with Grand Lagan that the idea of evolution uh, is a big a big thing in in the minds of Studio Trigger. So I I think that there are like that this this idea could be subverted. It could be changed. It could be challenged, and I hope it will. Uh, I suppose even if it's not, I mean, it's not uh, necessarily damning of the show. Like, it doesn't automatically make it bad. It just kind of makes it... Um, uh, I, I can understand why people will be disappointed, it, and I'm a little disappointed if, if that ends up being the case, you know? Yeah, it's one, of those, it's one of those two things I've often said in that you have two kinds of criticism. What's there was crap, or this was missing. And it's not a case of it being overtly, you know, anti, but rather by absence. That still in itself can be quite damning, though. But I, I have to also say, though, in, in favour of the, you know, this they're trying to enforce heteronormative thing, didn't you mention before about the Chinese myth that it was a f- male and female pairing to make the bird hole? Right. Yeah. Ugh. Sorry. It is very, very ancient. <laughs> very, very ancient. I, Ye- uh, I forget the date. I forget the date. But yeah, that's apparently where the Jian comes from. But. Mm. Be, I, I you, felt it needed to be discussed. Yeah, um, I'm sure we'll be revisiting that that topic as we go along. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I get that it's ancient, but as well to dig into something so spe- that ancient means you were very specifically seeking something that fit that. You were really looking for it, right? Yeah, you yeah. were really looking for or, it. I, I mean, or it I, made some kind of deep impression on you. I mean, I do absolutely get you know that when you're going to use ancient mythology, it isn't going to be accommodating to that sort of thing because. If there's one thing the ancients did, they did great iconography, but weren't particularly into the equality kind of thing, sadly. But the stick fits in the hole so perfectly. But the thing is, the stick fits (laughs) in many holes, and it was only ever meant to go in one, so that argument's already flawed. And I've now made us talk about anal, now let's move on. (laughs) Okay, so moving on from that, I really appreciated the visual design of the Um, It has a lineage that, that really speaks to me. And that's mostly on display. I liked the battle sequences. I I like robots. I love big robots fighting other big robots or big monsters. That was cool. I think Zero Two has potential. Like with a robot show, especially one like this, I think it. I don't know if it can get by on world building alone. I think you're gonna need a character to latch onto to care about, to, to pull you through the world and make you interested in it. And I'm hoping Zero Two can be that. Yeah. Uh, she she seems cool. 
Um, I do, I, I do, like, I do. At we least... need to find out who the costume designer is for this show because man, like the costumes are so good. Mm, they are, and I have to say as well, I at least appreciate that it's her taking the lead. Although, yes. although yes. it also another re- word, another word I've seen to describe the show: femdom. Oh dear. But that being said also, she is also playing, you know, co-pairing with, you know, standard, I'm, you know, a male, a young male lad, you know, who, <laughs> um, is useless. Uh, yeah. but then I have my Self, hidden talent. Yeah. And my hidden talent has been revealed and now suddenly I'm the chosen one. Maybe. Oh, yeah. So. Let's just put it this way, folks. We we're, we could make arguments in either way for all this sort of stuff. Who knows? Buckle up. It's probably going to get wild. I I hope so. Um, I always get wild. <laughs> I Yes. I like it, it could go a lot of different ways. I think it has so much potential, you know, to be to be cool, like I said, uh, world-building thing and to be the action show. I'm hoping that some more of the characters get screen time and get fleshed out. Uh, one young lady who seemed to to care about Hero a little bit. I think partner was tall with glasses. Uh, I yes. Can't remember her name. But they seemed to to cut to her looking concerned for Hero a few times, and she messaged him, and and so yeah, maybe she'll get some more development. It's it's hard to but but what's there now I think is intriguing. And like you, I'm going to give it three pairs of horns out of five. So six horns total, six horns out of five. Superb. <laughs> well, it's, at least you didn't say three Dicloniuses or Dicloni out of five. No, never. Oh, never. dear. Uh, uh, this is also, uh, my alternate racing for the show would be zero out of five hero Yui's, which is a good thing. It's like the inverse. It's a complicated scale. <laughs> it's, that, is, that is a compliment saying that there are zero out of five hero Yui's in this show. So <laughs> that's that. Well, anyway, how folks. Many, how many Catras out of a Wufei? I can't even begin to comprehend what you just said. And on that note, <laughs> thank you all very much for listening to Stream of Four on Darling in the Franks. Uh, we'll be back next week with episode two once it's aired. In the meantime, if you want to uh, chat with us, talk to us, send stuff our way, you can find me on Twitter at Shaden1010. Uh, I'm also on Curious Cat at curiouscat.me forward slash Shaden. Uh, what about you, Doc? Where can you be found on this weird and wild place these kids call the internet these days? So I am at the Subtle Doctor on Twitter and on Curious Cat as well at curiouscat.me slash the Subtle Doctor. Madness. How dare someone have a consistent name across various platforms on social media? What? I'm <laughs> sorry, Shadam. Please continue to listen and like and share uh, Waro Desho on iTunes, SoundCloud. Uh, we're, we're looking to make uh, a youtube push so look for us on there as well and uh yeah thank you all so much indeed uh with that ladies and gentlemen thank you very much and good night and as always embrace each other everyone to the ends of the universe Mwah.